Welcome to another episode of the Sound Motives podcast, where we explore in depth the stories of musicians revealing what has inspired and influenced them in their careers, both within music and beyond. My name is Dave O'Donnell, and I'm an audio and video producer based in London, and I'm fascinated by what motivates musicians to create. I love that buzz of discovery when I find something or someone who inspires me to make something myself or reveals a new perspective on things. And this podcast is basically a vehicle for that. These interviews are an excuse to discuss the topics that interest me with people that I admire. On the Sound Motors website, which is soundmotors.net, there's an article that supplements every episode with links to the various topics discussed. So if you want to learn more, there are videos and documentaries or related articles you can check out, as well as extended interview footage, which didn't make it into the final edit of the show. We've got a bunch of new episodes coming, so sign up to the mailing list for updates. Follow us on your podcast provider or SoundCloud, and like us on Facebook or Twitter. On today's episode, I speak with a South London producer who's collaborated with a bunch of different artists from Detroit rappers Danny Brown and Guilty Simpson through to UK singers Jamie Woon and Auburn Jaya. And earlier this year, he released his second solo album, Rejuvenate, on RNS Records. So during the London heatwave of 2018, I headed south to meet Paul White in his London studio to hear his story. musician, artist, producer from South East London. I got into music, probably the typical route of lots of music around the house. My dad used to play harmonica in a band around South East London. They were called the Rubber Johnnies. <laughs> you know, I mean, he played me Weather Report as a little baby. I mean, Weather Report is my favourite band ever. You know, they're pretty pretty free and experimental and pretty fusion-y. I think that definitely set all the foundations. Mum was a big, big music lover as well. Started having piano and guitar lessons at around like eight years old. And that's kind of where it all began, you know. I mean, Michael Jackson, I think, was like, like everyone, I remember feeling just such like deep emotions listening to Michael. I did art and music side by side for years. I was a big athlete as a kid as well. So growing up, it was lots of sport, lots of drawing, lots of music. And then gradually getting into my teens, you start going out more and smoking and trying out things and and sport becomes less and less and less and less. And music became more and more and more and more and more. (laughs) 
was never like a hip-hop head or a rock head or you know I've always listened to everything I mean the music my parents played as a kid you know jazz music classical music folk music you know soul music reggae music dub music I've always listened to that from being a kid up until now You know, in my teens, I was listening to all types of rock and hip hop. And um, I mean, a large part of that, I've said it before years ago, I was like skate videos, you know. I mean, in a skate video, you had everything. My first dream career was to be a photographer. I wanted to be a skateboard photographer and travel and just take pictures of skateboarders. And I went to the Brit and they didn't do photography. If they'd done photography, maybe I wouldn't be doing music. <laughs> Hi, welcome to my profile. My name is Rune Glifberg. I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark, Scandinavia. I'm 22 years old. What motivates me to uh, go out and skateboard is skating with my friends and having a good session and seeing them go off, feed off their energy. That makes me want to go out and go off as well and try and skate fast and maybe take a slam or whatever. Just go out and give it your all. I'd like to thank all my sponsors, especially Jeremy Fox at Flip Skateboards, who's helped me out throughout the years. I'd like to thank my family and friends, but mostly my mom. I had every, nearly every single form on one. There was, yeah, former mum was my life. Skating was my total life. I mean, the education, music education you got of skate videos was amazing. Because they would play, I mean, when I talked about skate videos that play every genre, it was really 411. What a brilliant music education. Skaters, love those guys. who aren't aware of 411. It was an American monthly skate video magazine that came out on VHS and it ran from around 1993 to 2004. Throughout my teens, I was trying to track these tapes down and watch them with my friends as it allowed us a rare glimpse into this really exciting subculture which before the internet was beyond our grasp. Growing up 30 miles outside of London, there wasn't much of it going on where we were, so these tapes were a window into a culture. The musical diversity featured on these tapes was amazing as well. I remember discovering artists like DJ Cam and Gangstar through various skaters' 411 sections, so I was really delighted that Paul reminded me of it. I've linked to some episodes of 411 over on Paul's episode page of the Soundmaze website if you want to see more. Anyway, I came across Paul's music around 2008-2009 when his sound was synonymous with the hip-hop-infused beats culture at the time. Flying Lotus had just blown up, there was a load of hype around the scene, so I wanted to hear more about how that developed. I think people kind of forget sometimes, hip-hop is every genre under the sun. That is why I loved it. I think that's probably where the beat thing kind of suited me, because I liked so many different things. I wasn't even particularly thinking hip-hop. It was just like, I like this BPM and drum pattern, and then underneath that I can layer ambient songs, I can layer funky stuff, I can layer jazzy things, I can, you know, layer rock, rock guitar. and. The beat scene, I suppose, was a perfect time that you could do all of that and it gave kind of like an avenue to, to get that music out.
after I finished uni, I studied in Bath Spa, lived in Bristol for three years. Coming back, I was just like, okay, what am I going to do? Really luckily had a family friend who worked in a music college called Community Music. Great, great, great place. They used to run free courses. It was like magic, you know, free teacher training courses, free music technology courses, just a really, really great place. And I was really lucky. I called the guy up because we, you know, I'd known him since a kid and he gave me a job there. And so I was always going on about Stone's Throw. That was like my favorite label at the time. Welcome to the Grand So I was always going on about them. I was just like, stones for every day, every day. And then someone I worked with, his wife worked with Alex Chase and Alex Chase worked at Stones Throw. So he bumped into Alex on the street and went, oh God, I've got this annoying guy at work. He's always going on about Stones Throw, you know. And Alex was like, I'll get him to send me some music. And that's where everything kicked off. Suddenly it was like, wow, okay, I have someone to send music to. And that kick-started me doing monthly beat CDs. So every month I'd do like a CD, like 30 songs. I mean, some would be like 30 second ideas, some would be like two minutes, two and a half. And I'd just send them to him every month. It was like, I was so militant. It was every, 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 every month. And I think it got to the point where I'd sent him nine CDs, I'd known him for nine months, and he called me up like, look, okay, I think we've got, we've got enough for a single here, you know? What was really, really, really crazy is that when he told me the two, is that like, okay, I think the A-side should be this song, and I can remember it all. It was like Beat CD 5, track 4. And Silent Cry was Beat CD 9, track 2. And he was like, I think those should be the two songs. And I was like, that's so crazy because my mum was going through cancer at the time and I was like, you just pit, I was like, the A-side is the track that I wrote the day I found out my mum had cancer and the silent cry I wrote the night she was having surgery. So that blew my mind, you know? I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's pretty crazy. Big up Alex Robinson. We were like the perfect marriage at the perfect time because he wanted to branch more out into managing and starting a label. So he started the label One Handed Music, which is what I put all my first music out on. And he knew all the right people for me. So it was just a dream. I could just sit back and just write music all day and he'd do all the networking for me. He'd just send me like a reel of people. Do you want to work with this person? Do you want to work with this person? Do you want to work with this person? And send me little clips. And that's what led to rapping with Paul White, which was the first record I did with MCs in 2011. And that's when I started working with all types of people. Yeah. 
felt nervous, excited, nervous working with these guys because you know some of them are my heroes. Getting like Guilty Simpson on the album. What? This is Dilla's boy. You know, are you kidding me? I've been like idolizing Dilla for years. How can I be working with Guilty Simpson? Rapping with Paul White. I suppose I felt as ready as I could have been, you know, that was like, I can't, I treated like those beat CDs every month as like training to go to war, building up my muscles, you know, so then when it came to it, hopefully I'd be ready. GS, who can you trust when the odds are against you? And cats want to put a slug in your mental. They don't care about the shit that you've been through. Nah, because they've been going through that bullshit too. True. Robin Peter to pay Paul, pull it left bullet in the body there to die like a straight dog. Cracking Henny to deal with the absence of close friends I once chill with. Damn, they changed up when I came from nothing. I don't say much, my life is telling them something. Still, I maintain to stay sane. Stressing over shit they do, I can't change. Suffocating in the drama. These days, I only put the trust in my mama. Cause I know my mama got my back regardless. Whatever the outcome, whatever the charges. Who do you trust? I got you when the shit pop off On the block where the hustlers can get knocked off oh, Shit, I'm posted in the spot like a boss So who do you trust? Nobody but us I got you when the shit pop off On the block where the hustlers can get knocked off I'm a winner, motherfucker, never lost So who do you trust? And it was a perfect way to work for me, you know, because then there was never any pressure of, okay, you got to put a release out, we need some music for it. I've always done a lot to almost like protect music for just the purity and the just pure enjoyment of it, rather than it being a big career, even though obviously I want that and I'm lucky enough to put music out and it be a career. The Beat CD thing was, you know, almost kind of tricking myself to like, there always being music around. And that was just a personal challenge. It wasn't like I knew all this stuff was going to come out. So it's just a matter of sending them out and just getting people to pick. And that's how I've always worked with someone like Danny Brown. It's always been the same. See, they think I'm a fuck nigga, but if they ever see me, then they might have to duck nigga. Like what nigga? Before your ass can answer, get your whole shit bust nigga. Them rolls off the mashes, drinking Fiji water. Wanna pull me in that fire while I'm trying to feed my daughter. Wanna snatch my mama plate and tell her she can't eat. Then we gon' have with some discrepancies right here in this street. Because the weak don't speak, get left in silence. And when you don't listen, gotta speak with violence. That duck take the grandmama, strip a man is all his honor. Trying to be a G, now you wish you were gonna. I walk with the guys for the tongue for the devil. Trying to keep a nigga thirsty, so for I pray mercy. The return of the gangster, cause niggas don't believe I will hide it in my sleeve, leave a nigga in the street. The return of the gangster, cause niggas got bills. This rap shit don't work, then it's back to selling creels. Return of the gangster, cause niggas want that real, want that old Danny Brown. But nigga, I'm like chill. The return of the gangster, fuck a hip to squeeze the trigger. You got me fucked up on my hood ass nigga. So, by building up a huge collection of beats, Paul was able to protect his music-making process and keep the creativity stress-free. At this point, Paul had connected with his manager and was collaborating with some of his heroes, but there were still some challenges in terms of the practical aspects of making music for a living, as we're about to hear. I was still broke and I felt like I'd been battling for years and I was relying on benefits, you know, like I was getting housing benefit, I was on the dole, I was just like, damn, you know, like this is just depressing. It was really, really difficult. Me and the guy I was living with didn't even have like central heating for like two years, you know. Can't go out, you can't take girlfriends out, you know, I was just like, okay, damn, maybe I just need to go and get a job. 
there'd be times I was getting depressed and times like, it's just more like a kind of frustration, you know, not like real, real kind of depression, more like a frustration. I'd go out and see people that had loads of dough, you know, could go out and buy all these drinks and I couldn't even, you know, literally I'd be going out with mates and couldn't even buy a beer. <laughs> But then I, I don't know, I felt like I suddenly started to see, you know, like a, an unhappiness, I suppose, in certain people because they're spending most of their hours still doing stuff they didn't want to do. That was really important time to learn, actually, that money didn't mean shit. And actually, if I can be happy just doing what I love, great. I was like, okay, cool, if we get money on top, then that's just an extra really nice bonus. It isn't all about money. Following what you want to do, it feels so good. I'd moved in with my girlfriend at the time. You know, that's obviously a big change in your life. You know, I needed to I needed to stop smoking partly because of that, you know, partly because I was just kind of caught in this rut of doing the same thing over and over and over and I didn't have a clear head to kind of get myself out of that. To be honest, I was getting really depressed doing the same thing over and over and over and over. I mean, by this point, I was on like Beat CD 42 or something, you know, it was just like, okay, there's only a certain amount of years you can keep doing the same amount of motions. I mean, everyone knows what it's like. You know, you're in a job you like, everything's great. You do it for nine, ten years. It's like, okay, this is great. I love it. I need something new now. I just want to expand. I want to explore. I want to have new experiences. You know, it's your life, isn't it? So I just needed to do something different. And I couldn't keep sampling, you know. I wanted more of a challenge now. And I think just almost, you know, confronting something like smoking. I mean, that was like a massive addiction that I had, you know. I didn't just smoke a little bit. Some people thought, oh, you know, smoking's fine. You know, it's cool. Everyone's totally different. But I've got the most addictive personality in the world. Don't do things by halves. So it'd be like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So just even, the, you know, having the strength to have, like, got on over that just felt so good and gave me so much strength. Lots of things kind of needed to change, you know, and I just really wanted to play again because I came from playing piano and guitar. I really, really needed to kind of go back to that and stick to my creative journey, to something in me. And sometimes it can be really hard because when music becomes a career, you've got, you know, time pressure to do other things. It's like you wake up one day and you just want to, like, study the piano all day, but you've got to finish producing a song for someone. And I think I've been kind of going through that for, like, a good, like, six months to a year before that point. I'd, I'd finished... Danny Brown's album, the album I did about Open Mike Eagle, which I love doing. 
but I didn't have time to kind of progress in other areas that I really wanted to. So then suddenly I had like six months free and I was just like, that's it, you know, this, this now is my chance, you know. So I just, yeah, and I was scared. I was like, it felt like I was starting from scratch again. I was like, God, I've got to learn all these instruments and, you know, learn how to make a drum kit and all this kind of stuff. But then it was just such a relief and had so much fun to just suddenly have time to do what I wanted to do again. It just all poured out really, really, really quick and was really easy. I was surprised. I was like, damn, you know, six months later, the rejuvenate was done. The whole album was like done. I thought it was going to take me a year to just learn how to like play some notes again. So yeah, it, was, it was really, really like affirming, you know, to me to like, okay, that was such the right thing to do. You could just got to listen to yourself, listen to what you want to do and take those risks because people around you are telling you not to. It's like, but you know, you're working with people like Danny Brown now. We need more hip hop beats. You need to keep sampling, keep doing this. I'm not having a go at anybody, you know, like, of course, I understand people giving me that advice. But no, I had to just shut all that down. And I've always gone to that mentality of, like, fuck what anybody else thinks. You just have to. Friends, loved ones, you know, it's like, I love you, but fuck you. You know, when it comes to, like, what you're going to do creatively, you always have to say fuck off to everybody. It's so crucial for you to just follow what you want to do. Because you're going to have the most fun and you're going to write the best music. Rejuvenate is Paul's most recent album, a departure from the sampling techniques that he used in his earlier work, but still immediately recognizable as his own. In the last year, I've gone freelance. So for the first time in about 10 years of working, I've not had a regular Monday to Friday job to be at. And although that freedom sounds really nice, if I'm totally honest, it's also taken some getting used to. So when Paul delighted in the idea of having six months with no structure and nothing to do except write, I was really curious to hear what a day in the studio actually looks like for him. It depends, you know, but if it's not all flowing, half of the day could easily be me just sitting on the internet and just listening to music or listening to like some Krishnamurti or Adam Watts lecture, you know, <laughs> some deep philosopher kind of talks. That's, that's really important. I mean, whilst I was writing Rejuvenate, a lot of my time was actually spent doing that. I, had, I put no pressure on myself at all. And there'd be a week go by, I wouldn't write anything. So looking at someone like Alan Watts a little more closely, what has Paul learned from him? Taking pressure off this big sense of like me, I, 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 I. I mean, he talks about that a lot. You know, just ditching the sense of I, you know, there is no I, you know, everything is connected. So even just a simple basic thing like that can take so much pressure off your shoulders. Instead of just thinking me, me all the time, I've got to do this. And the ego, I mean, that's like, you know, a tiny little smidgen of a message he talks about and just massively powerful yeah the strife we kind of get into mentally mainly through that concept of I we hang it on to that feeling the concept is not us the feeling of tension is completely phony it has nothing to do with success in seeing hearing or acting and so we get the marriage of an illusion with a falsehood 
and that we call ourselves. And no wonder we feel cut off from everything, alienated, frightened of life and death. you just heard in that track is Alan Watts himself, sampled on one of Paul's earlier tracks, The Concept of I. If you'd like to discover more about Alan Watts, there's a documentary about him, as well as one on J. Krishnamurti on Paul's episode page over at soundmotors.net. Our internal critical voice is something that we all have to deal with at various times in our lives, and this might particularly come into focus when you're creating for a living. At times it can be valuable, continually pushing you towards improvement, but I suspect if it goes unchecked, it can become a counterproductive and destructive force. So does Paul have one? Yeah, I have massive critical voices for sure. I mean, I think that's probably why I spend half my time reading up about philosophers is to try and help me shut that voice up. I think for years and years and years, I did that by smoking weed all day, every day from the minute I get up till the minute I'd be passing out. I mean, I've always thought that creatively is, to tr- you know, trying to bypass my brain almost as much as possible. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds so corny and cliche and hippie, but, you know, just letting it just come from somewhere else, my soul and my spirit, you know, rather than my brain. I've gone through such kind of big battles with that, and that's the massive thing about what the whole album of Rejuvenate is about, kind of overcoming that and actually, you know, this over-critical, over-analytical voice in music and everything, in like my relationships, in my life, in my relationship with myself. I really was trying to, you know, get rid of those voices, I suppose, as much as I could. Then without, you know, without weed, without any of that, you know, just me on my own. Something not yet discussed is the influence of record collecting on Paul's work. From the prog rock sounds of King Crimson's In the Wake of Poseidon album, to Laboratorium's 1979 release Quasimodo, which you can hear in the background. That's been a massive thing with the sound that I'm doing now. It's just years and years and years of digging for records and being exposed to all types of music, again, dating back from all the way back from when I was a little kid. So now, yeah, I just had this vast pool to kind of draw from. I think that's why there's just no boundaries and no rules. Again, I hate genres, you know. There should be no cutting off of anything. It should just be wide open in life in general, especially in creativity. All these old records over the years has been one of the most amazing educations I could have ever had. It's a library and it's an archive and encyclopedia of music. So... I feel very, very lucky to have had all those and then been exposed to all this music. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, for the last record, I was just like, I want to write some of this stuff myself, you know. <laughs> Hearing all this music, I was just like, damn, okay, surely I can do something. You know, I don't have to keep sampling this stuff. 
I can have fun and explore and try and recreate a lot of this stuff myself. Moving beyond his record collection, Paul and the 22A gang seem to be musical kindred spirits of sorts. Is that the case? We talk about pillars and staying true to creativity. We've definitely been each other's pillars for years. Joe Mo Colors. Yeah, wow. I mean, I knew him before I got with my first manager. I mean, we're talking about 11, 12 years before any of us had gone anywhere near putting any music out. Reginald Omar and. Gene Basser, and then there was Al Dobson Jr. And, and then I lived with a guy called Wayne Francis, who plays in a band called United Vibrations. So you know, there's been this kind of click of us for for years and years and years. Um, and then through Wayne Francis, I met 
Tendalonius, Ed. And it was always, you know, music, 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 just music creativity first. Just fuck the industry, fuck anything else, you know, just pure creativity. Even, even though obviously we always all wanted to have music out and all be part of that industry. But we definitely really, really helped each other a massive amount. The fire and the inspiration I got from those guys was amazing. And we all fed round to each other. And now it's just magic to see everybody doing their own thing. Those are the people I wanted to impress. That was it. That was the competition. There was this like secret heated competition. <laughs> you get a new beat to him, like, damn, my God, shit. I better get home. I mean, I get like depressed, you know. I mean, literally, you know, like I get down, be like, oh my God, okay, I gotta go and get better. So yeah, I love those guys. Got myself a little dog, his color was a brown. As well as being a solo artist who collaborates with people on his own records, Paul also works in a behind-the-scenes capacity as a producer with other artists on their own records. And having been a fan of Jamie Woon's 2015 Making Time album, I was curious to hear how Paul had got involved with that. I mean, that was an amazing experience. So he took me to this place called O.C. Island, which is like a little island off the coast of Essex. It's like, there's an island off the coast of Essex. <laughs> it was a magical little place. So yeah, we went over there for like a week and got to know each other and and had a really really nice studio to use and 
I mean, it's called Thunder for a reason because we actually we took the studio outside. So we took the drum kit out in the middle of a field, connected all these XLR cables up together, and mic'd up this drum kit miles out in the field. And then this massive thunderstorm started. I mean, we saw like lightning strike the ground, like not that far away from us. And then we carried on working through the night, and that became Thunder. hell of a lot working with Jamie Woon. I came from such a mentality of just quickly start something, finish it, quickly start something, finish it. You know, like beat tape mentality, just so fast. And at first watching him work was like alien to me because he spends so long on stuff. It was so fascinating to see that whole last album of his from the very, very, very start, like the very, very, very early, early, early demos and then all the stages it goes through to the end to see how much time he spent on it and how personal it had to be and how he really spent time on figuring out what he was going through in his life and what he even wanted to write about before he even would start writing any lyrics so I was like wow it's a really really powerful thing to see how strong you can make something you know by working on it and working on it and working on it and working with a team you know he's got a great band he's got a great engineer that really really opened up my world because I'd just been working on my own in total solitude for years and years you know you can do a lot with a team number two maybe I should spend a bit a bit more kind of time on things which I still don't quite I mean it's really interesting I mean that off the last album returning kind of seems like it's almost doing probably the best and it's the only song I've ever done three versions of in my entire life and that's like really fascinating to me it was also the first song I ever wrote sober in 15 years so there was a big release you know you just got to kind of open up yourself to everything I think you know you get caught into just certain ways of working 
now just kind of really trying to kind of open that all up and explore all these different ways and you have to when you're working with other people anyway and it's fascinating you know I've learned so much now over the last year and a half of collaborating with different people getting in rooms with people you just learn so much and you have so much fun and you connect with people I mean it's beautiful I mean number one is just connecting with people is just beautiful and it's mad how many times you meet someone it's like wow I'm meeting another version of me you know it's like so similar so that's magic me that in some ways Paul's earlier beat CD approach focused on protecting the solo creative process and in working that way on the one hand he avoided vulnerability and yet on the other hand he missed out on some of the benefits that come with taking creative risks. Again part of my journey of rejuvenation was opening up to many things including the industry because I just blocked it off for years you know I was just like no I'm not going anywhere near it you know music is music you know. I started to realise that I could actually go a bit further <laughs> if I actually just opened up my eyes to it a little bit, which I did. And I felt secure enough by then. You know, you've got to build up your pillars of feeling secure before you can, because otherwise it can screw your head up. In the last couple of years, of like really getting in and doing sessions with people as a producer, like one-on-one, you know, and actually writing songs with people in a room, which I love now. It's terrifying at first. I mean, I could barely do it, because you're just getting naked. It's just like you're meeting a stranger, OK, get naked. Show me yours, I'll show you mine, that's it. Let's do it, you Paul is open to creating in the room, face-to-face with others. I wondered, is there a recent collaboration that he's particularly enjoyed? A song of an artist I've just been working with, this guy Obon Jaya, a track that we wrote together just came out called Adjacent Heart. That definitely felt like a pretty special song. Because, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was raw, it was crazy. Like, I'd just come out of a five-and-a-half-year relationship like two weeks before. He came to the studio 
with this like fully like loved up you know situation but it ended up being this like beautiful kind of merge of us both coming together from opposite sides but from the same power you know and we just met in the middle and it just kind of forged forward into this really beautiful song you know in my eyes so that's called adjacent heart and that felt really special you know what I mean for that to kind of come together in that way adjacent heart I can lay here and watch you sleep until this dark outside turns a smile you're so still the way you are you keep me calm I'm unafraid this feels so good I could get used to being in love adjacent heart I can lay here and watch you sleep until this dark outside turns a smile you're so still the way you are you keep me calm I'm unafraid this feels so good I could get used to being in love I float the city like some change, grow mine But my train tickets say I'm underage My days stretch like this money in my hand I get too busy, I forget the little things like How's your day? Suck me into how alien your planet is We run in different circles at different speeds And where I make excuses, you make time for me Take care of me And pull me up when I'm running and signed up to my knees Watching you sleep and I can see all of the things I take for granted Sunken in this double bed my mother's place you're so at peace and so content this isn't where we want to be it's where we are and you stick it out with Jason's me heart, i can lay here and watch you sleep until this dark outside turns a smile you're so still the way you are you keep me calm i'm unafraid this feels so good i could get used to being in Beautiful track. I love that. Finally, connected to the critical voice discussion earlier on, as he progresses and continues to develop as an artist, is the idea of perfection something that Paul's working towards? No. No, probably the opposite. So you're not even striving towards No, I'm not even striving towards perfection. No, I'm striving to have fun. And that's, that's just it. Striving to have fun and to learn and to explore music and my own imagination and that's just purely it you know you've got to leave everything open you know you've got to leave space i suppose that's the key thing you try and make everything perfect you're tight you're so rigid that's not a good place to be and it's not a good place to create and i remember hearing quincy jones saying was it you got to leave enough space to let god walk through and i'm not religious but i know what he meant you don't have to believe in god you know just meant something i don't know extra kind of special and you have that's really 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 important to just leave things open That's it for today's episode. Many thanks to Paul for welcoming me into his studio and talking so openly about his work and the challenges involved. I found his approach really refreshing and energizing, and it's been so much fun putting this episode together. So thank you, Paul. If you want to find out more about any of the topics discussed in this episode of Sound Motives, head over to Paul's show page on soundmotives.net where there are links to documentaries about Stone's Throw, about Malian musician Ali Farkatore, who Paul grew up listening to, a classic episode of 411 from 1997. There are some music videos from Mo Colors, Obanjaya, and a lecture from Alan Watts and J. Krishnamurti, who are a couple of the philosophers that Paul checks out when he's struggling to write. Plus, there's some very cool Paul White-related content from Fact Magazine and Mass Appeal on there, and some extended video clips from my interview with Paul. 
if you dig this project, please do tell your friends, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your podcast app. Follow us on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. And that's it. Thanks very much for listening and catch you soon. Bye. Sound motifs.